Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So have you heard about Victor? He's this trash-talking robot. (laughs) There's a trash-talking robot? Yeah, so he was designed at Carnegie Mellon University, and and the point was for people to play Scrabble with the robot. So the engineers wanted people to keep coming back to play with him, and so they decided to make him, you know, like, not very good at it. (laughs) And the only words in his vocabulary were lifted from a Sherlock Holmes short story. Also, the scientists thought it would be funny to make him really moody. So when he starts losing, he just gets all sarcastic <laughs> on him. Yeah, so well, what type of stuff is he saying? Oh, he's got some really good stuff. He'll say stuff like, um, this isn't golf. You're supposed to be trying for a high score. How good is that? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's actually when he's a little bit more confident. But it, mostly he'll just razz you and question whether you're actually cheating because you know, of course, he doesn't believe a human brain is capable of coming up with good words. I love this idea of like a robot sore loser. <laughs> yeah, and he, he actually also blames his tiles a lot, too. According to the engineers, it's way more satisfying to play against someone who's cocky but isn't actually that good. And one of the surprising things about it is that beating a trash talker makes people want to come back and beat him again. But learning about Victor made me wonder, you know, is there an art to trash talking? Are there techniques athletes use to block it out? And does it really psych out your opponent? So that's what today's episode is all about. Let's dive in. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hot Ticketer. And sitting behind that soundproof glass, trying to distract us by playing his... Is that a Vuvuzela? I know. That's the bad boy of how stuff works, Mr. Tristan McNeil. (laughs) I can't believe he's playing Freebird on that thing. He's so talented. Wow, he really is. All right, well, Mango, today's episode is all about trash talking. And I know you've been wanting to cover this topic for a while, so, so why did you want to do an episode on trash talking? 
I think it's partly because the stories are so funny. I, I mean, you think about Muhammad Ali writing poems about his opponents or Babe Diedrichson. Do you, do you remember her? She was like this athlete we covered at Mental Floss. Yeah, I do remember her. She competed in what wasn't like five events in some of the early Olympics. Mm-hmm. She was phenomenal. And I, I believe she set a javelin world record after tearing the cartilage in her shoulder. But she also trash talked with the best of them. Like she'd let people know she was going to beat them. And then she'd also run circles around them in warm ups. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like show off her skills during the practices or what? No, she would literally run circles around them as she warmed up, just taunting and annoying them by playing her harmonica as she did it. I love that she had a harmonica on her. That's so obnoxious. (laughs) I know, but that's part of what's so interesting to me is that this line between trash talking and poor sportsmanship, it's so blurry. Actually, growing up, there was this kid in my neighborhood who was a wrestler, and he was incredible. He was like number one in the state. He'd been wrestling since he was in elementary school. So when he started wrestling on the high school team, it was sort of a joke. The competition just wasn't up to his standard. And I, I remember one time he pinned a guy with just one hand. Which is, you know, bad enough, right? But he was using his other hand to wave at the cheerleaders on the sideline. <laughs> like the whole thing was so cocky. Sounds like it's from a movie or something. <laughs> and I'm, I'm guessing it was humiliating for the poor guy who got pinned as well, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was friendly with the guy who got pinned. And when he told me the story, he was more in awe that it happened to him than actually irritated by it. I mean, I would have been furious, but... On the one hand, you kind of hate that sort of showmanship because it feels indecent and unsportsmanlike. And on the other hand, you think, geez, he's a really good athlete. It actually reminds me of the time, you know, Larry Bird was just lining it up against Utah and he ran by the opposing coach and he said something like, you know, haven't you got anyone on the bench who can guard me? And so the coach just looked down at his bench and then slowly back at Bird and he pretty much says, no, I don't. See, I mean, you think, what a jerk. And also, he's Larry Bird, right? He's so good, he's allowed to say things like that. By the way, every time I hear the name Larry Bird now, I I think about how the Twitter bird mascot's name is Larry in honor of him. But, you know, there's so many different types of trash talk, right? Like, there's the stuff where you hype yourself up, and then there's the chirping where you're trying to pick apart the other opponent and get in their head so they're off their game. And I guess Larry was walking this line between the two. Yeah, one of the most fun parts of thinking about this episode was looking into the psychology of trash talking. And it's super interesting, you know, how effective it can be when you're talking about all these incredible professionals. You know, they've been playing the sport and dealing with some element of trash talking all their life. And it happens in every sport. There, I mean, there's trash talking in bowling and in cricket <laughs> and in swimming and in sprinting. You know, no sport is immune to it. Yeah, that's right. But another reason I wanted to do this episode was I, I'd seen this headline in the Harvard Business Review this fall, and it read, uh, The Case for Trash Talking at Work, According to Research. I, <laughs> I just love that subhead so much, according to research. But right. it sounded so ridiculous. I wondered, is there actually a case for trash talking at work? I hope so, because I'm feeling like we need to bring it to how stuff works. But is there? (laughs) No, it's total clickbait. I mean, Uh it's interesting that academics decide to study trash talking and how it affects people in the workplace. And apparently when the trash talk is coming from a different company, it can be effective. Like one example they used was that the head of GM was picking on Mercedes. And he said that the Mercedes C-Class was called that because the C stood for mediocre. Which is, oh, burn. <laughs> I know, such a business to business put down. But the study's point was that sort of language can actually be motivational for Mercedes employees. Like when the smack talk is coming from a competitor, it can be useful to rev up your labor force and kind of increase their focus. 
Yeah, and I get that. You know, an outsider picking on you can definitely be motivational. But but what if it's coming from inside the company? Right. So the article's titled The Case for Trash Talking at Work. So that's what I expected this was going to be about. But the study showed that when you try to motivate your own employees by trashing them, it just ends up being demoralizing, which is obvious, right? And also, if your employees are doing creative work, it totally throws them off. Like the research showed that workers often respond by working less hard or often even sabotaging their own projects. Which which makes sense. So I, I guess there's a moral here, and it's that, you know, don't trash talk your competition because it will motivate them, and don't trash talk about your employees because it will demotivate them, I guess. Yeah, basically, if you're a business person, just don't trash talk. Right, right. Well, all right. So let's move from the workplace into some ridiculous trash talking stories from sports. I know these are some of our favorites, and, and I know there are a ton of these, but... Before we do, I, actually, let's talk for a second about how we're defining trash talk. Yeah, the, that's a good idea. So actually, that's one thing the paper did a great job of. They have this really nice definition of talking trash as, quote, competitive incivility. And basically, they consider trash talking either boastful comments or insulting comments about an opponent all delivered before or during competition. All right. So I guess that in that definition, they're limiting this to words. So we're not talking about touchdown dances or dirty tricks. Mm -hmm. And actually, that phrase competitive incivility, it sounded funny at first, but it, it is interesting. And I, I was reading about sledging, which is what they call trash talking in cricket. It was not something I knew about before, uh, but there were a bunch of articles on how bad it's gotten recently that the sledging in women's cricket is particularly bad. Apparently in Australia, it's it's terrible there. So what did they do? Well, I guess this was in an Australia versus England match, but it, it's pretty much what you'd expect. And athletes picking on each other and trying to get each other off their game. There's a little body shaming thrown in, which mm. some might call over the line. But honestly, I think partially it's because it was women doing the trash talking that the newspapers reported it with such shock. And and I guess cricket is also supposed to be this gentlemanly game, right? I mean, it's dressed up as a gentleman's game in sort of fancy white uniforms and sweaters, but I don't really think of it that way. Plus, it's not like trash talking is this new phenomena. Like, I was looking back and there's trash talking in the Bible. I mean, David walks up to Goliath and says, I will strike you down and cut off your head. And that's not that distant from anything Mike Tyson said. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it's quite as elegant as I'm going to eat your babies, but, you know, <laughs> I see what you're saying. And obviously trash talking at war might be slightly different circumstances than in a game. But I think what I found funny was that in some of the articles, there was almost this maybe like a romanticism for this golden age of trash talking and cricket. You know, back when it was all super witty. And actually, here, let, let me read you a few examples. This is from a site called The Conversation. One of the more famous sledges was between Australian cricketer Rod Marsh and then this guy from England, Ian Botham. Apparently, they were friends off the pitch. But according to the anecdote, Marsh tried to get Botham off his game by saying, quote, so how's your wife and my kids? Which you could see how Botham might be offended. <laughs> but then Botham replied with a comment of something like, wife's fine, but the kids are a little dim. <laughs> so he yes-anded him. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was always my tactic to playing sports, right? You just let the comments roll off you or use them to motivate you and talk back on the scoreboard. But that comment actually reminds me of the round table at the Algonquin. Did you ever see that movie about Dorothy Parker? I think it was called Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle. No, I'd heard about it, but I, I never actually saw it. I don't actually remember the movie that well. But there was this one scene where they showed the round table at the Algonquin Club 
And this one guy joins the table and picks on a bald writer who's sitting there. Like he just starts rubbing his head and he says, it feels just like my wife's bare bottom. <laughs> and then the writer rubs his own head and says, why, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> it's just kind of like one liner after one liner. But I can't imagine all cricketing talk was that witty. Yeah, I know. And and, and cricket certainly had the reputation of being an elitist sport. And, and maybe retelling these stories helped make it feel a cut above. I, I don't know. But actually, there's another funny story that the conversation referenced where there's this bowler named Shane Warren and a batter from South Africa named Daryl Cullinan. And Warren, who's about to bowl to him, says... I've been waiting for two years to have another go at you. So Cullinan just looks back and says, looks like you spent it eating. <laughs> I mean, these are the stories that still get talked about. You know, like they're, they're the models for how to react to trash talking. Brutal. But it almost makes it feel like modern trash talking can't be witty, too. So I, I was reading up on foul shots. Apparently, with enough trash talking or even distraction from the fans, you can lower a shooter's chances of hitting free throws. And there's this one story of Scottie Pippen walking up to Carl Malone, who, you know, was known as the mailman. Right, because because he delivered, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, Pippen walked up to him as Malone was standing there at the charity stripe. And this was in the final moments of an NBA Finals game. And he's about to take two shots to tie and win the game. And Pippen just whispers to him, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. Which <laughs> is so stupid and witty. And I, I kind of wonder how long he'd had that in his pocket just waiting to drop it. But it completely took Malone out of his rhythm and he missed his shots and lost the game. That's insane. All right. Well, I, I want to talk about foul shooting and the air ball chan and also about how fans actually can affect a game. But before we do, why don't we pause for a quick break? This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the art of trash talking. 
Now, obviously, trash talking is not a new phenomenon. I I was looking back at some old stories we've done. I actually saw you wrote one about Roman bullets and how they used to have these kind of like sarcastic inscriptions on them. That's right. That was for Metal Floss. Archaeologists found these ancient Roman and Greek bullets, and they were surprised to find all these ridiculous things written on them. So some had inscriptions for good luck, you know, just so that they'd hit their targets. But a lot of them had these ridiculous comments like, ouch, or for your backside. (laughs) Actually, I think my favorite was one that said, uh, didn't say, here's a sugar plum for you. (laughs) I know. That's that's so many words for one tiny rock. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so obviously trash talking isn't new, but there are competing views on how well it works. Psychology Today did a story on it, and they talked to this sociologist, Richard Lapchick, and he founded the Center for the Study of Sports and Society up at Northeastern, and his point was that it serves a good purpose. You know, when well done, it gives athletes an edge over their opponents. But then they talked to a sports psychologist who works with the Nets and college basketball teams, and he had kind of a different point. He said not only does a put-down generally make an athlete play better, but all the time and energy wasted on thinking up the trash talk is taking away from playing your best. And as he puts it, playing well is the most intimidating factor. Right, and when you're training and competing at this elite level, I'm guessing it's harder to get psyched out. I remember reading this book, Open, by Andre Agassi, and in it he talks about how his dad trained him, and you realize what sort of focus and training athletes have, and just how much they've practiced along the way. So as a baby, his dad actually taped ping pong paddles to his hands so he'd swing at the tennis ball mobile he'd built for him in his crib. And then at age three or four, he's got this sawed-off racket that he's allowed to use to hit anything in the house. So it could be balls, but also things like salt shakers or whatever. Wow. And by the time, I want to say he's six years old, he's hitting a 1,000 balls a day that are blasted at him at 125 miles per hour. It's insane. Like, he's just a kid, and he's forced to practice until his arms feel like they're going to fall off every single day. And the first line in his autobiography is about how no one ever believes him when he says this, but he hates tennis. Of course he hates tennis. I mean, that's insanity. I know, but Andre Agassi's dad was someone who believed in numbers and math, and he thought that the kid who hit a 1,000 balls a day for 18 years was destined to be number one in the world, you know, as long as he's tough enough mentally. And there's certain points in the story where Agassi gets intimidated and thrown off his game. Like, there's actually this great story of Yvonne Lendl, who walked around the shared locker room. Because in tennis, you're sharing one locker room. But Yvonne Lendl would walk around completely naked except for tennis shoes. (laughs) And he'd do this before a game just to psych his opponents out. And during that, he kind of sneered at Agassi and dismissed him as, quote, just a haircut and a forehand. Ouch. And then, of course, he proceeded to wallop him. I mean, Yvonne Lendl was terrifying. I know, and naked Yvonne Lendl is even more terrifying. But, <laughs> but my point is, like, maybe you can intimidate a young player or get in their head a little, but you hit that many tennis balls in your lifetime and you put yourself in that many competitive situations, at a certain point, you've got to be just on autopilot. Yeah, and I can see that. Though You know, clearly there are times when you can get under somebody's skin. You know, think about Zidane and, and the World Cup. Oh, yeah, when that player from Italy said something about his mom or his sister. Yeah, that was it. And he was playing Italy in the finals, and he actually headbutted the other player. And it was clearly provoked by words. And you've got this seasoned player on the cusp of retirement, and his hot-headed reaction actually got him kicked out of the game. Also, it turned into this ridiculous meme. <laughs> but but I do, I get what you're saying, and and the focus that elite athletes are applying to their games is intense. And I read a bit about it in an old Esquire about the American women's softball team. 
and how the coach used to write numbers on the balls. And even though they were coming at the batters at over 100 miles an hour in batting practice, the athletes would practice calling out the numbers on the balls as they hit them. Their eyes were so honed in, they could actually identify the numbers as the balls were rotating toward them. How crazy is that? That's incredible. It really is. But, you know, it's also why so many athletes have these routines for when they're at bat or at the free throw line or whatever it is where they need to concentrate. And sometimes it's for the rhythm. You know, if you bounce a ball three times at a free throw line, then spin it and find a certain seam, you can kind of calm yourself down, give yourself a rhythm you're used to. But it also mentally resets you and and takes you out of the trash talking that might be going on around you. It's funny to talk about resetting because I uh, I read this story about A-Rod and that he has this simple routine that a sports psychologist taught him. So after a strike, he'd step back from the batter's box, close his eyes, remember how much he loved playing the game, then look up at the sky and open them. And the whole thing is made to make him sort of like shrug off his worries and smile and just remember to enjoy the game. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually kind of like that. And I read about an even weirder one, and this isn't so much a routine so much as maybe a practice exercise. So in hockey, obviously, there's a lot of trash talking or, or chirping and you're allowed to fight. So it serves a purpose, I, I guess. But I was reading about this one exercise a sports psychologist made for working with goalies. Basically, while you're on the couch in therapy, he'd place live mouse traps on your thighs and then throw balls at you to try to catch. <laughs> And the training was supposed to be terrifying, but, you know, you get through it. And the idea is once you're on the ice, your body doesn't freeze up or get tense when you're getting talked to, but instead stays loose. That's the hope, at least. (laughs) I I mean, that has to be the strangest way to train against trash talking. I know. So I know you want to talk about the airball chan and the curtain of distraction, but before we do, can can we actually talk a little bit about Michael Jordan? Absolutely. What about him? All right. Well, for listeners who grew up when we did, you probably remember Air Jordan as much for his winning smile and all his commercials as for that incredible athleticism that we all know him for as well. I mean, he played this stifling defense. He could slam dunk from the free throw line. He just knew how to take over games. And so, you know, you were consistently stunned by his athleticism. But he also seemed like this terrific ambassador for the game, which It's kind of funny because when you do the research on trash talking, Jordan's name comes up all the time. I know. They kind of glossed over that part in Space Jam. Yeah, they did. I know how often you watch Space Jam. And yeah, (laughs) there's just very little of that. But he was an epic trash talker. And we've mentioned that sports psychologists don't know the overall effect of trash talking in games. But Michael Jordan's a pretty good argument that trash talking can work. And he actually had a specific philosophy about trash talking. I thought this was super interesting. So basically he saw basketball as a team sport, but when he talked to you and he'd do everything from shooting free throws with his eyes closed to, you know, just to show you how much better he was than you, or maybe he would tell you the move he was going to make and then do it on the next play and just beat you doing it and make you that much more embarrassed than trying to play him. But, you know, his philosophy was that trash talking makes a player stop playing with their team. Often they're so insulted that they'll want to prove their skills against you, and it's easier for a team to beat one player than a whole team. Oh, that's really interesting. So he was kind of taking people out of uh, making a smart pass or a smart assist and sort of daring them to make a more glorious play. Yeah, and there there was actually this one time in the 1995 playoffs against one of your favorite players, Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> I know. I loved Muggsy Bogues, and partially it was just that he was so short. He was like 5'3". But watching him gave me so much hope as a short kid. 
<laughs> he was really fun to watch, though. And, and, and Jordan was guarding Muggsy in this this one story, and he gave him all the space. And then he just said, shoot at you. And so I condensed that. He used an expletive there and made fun of his height <laughs> in doing so. But Muggsy took the shot. And not only did he miss, but he missed, like, terribly. And so totally <laughs> airballed this shot. And the sad part of the story that's actually kind of heartbreaking <laughs> is that Mogsy Bugs claimed that that moment ruined his career. Until then, he'd had three straight years of putting up double-digit points in a game. But after that year, he was never the same. I think he averaged something like 5.9 points a game after that. Oh, that's horrible. That trash talk had a lasting impact. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, part of what made Jordan so good, though, was how he reacted to trash talking. So if you dared to trash talk to him, it just motivated him insanely. Yeah, so I, I know we've all heard lots of these stories, but Nolan pointed me to this one about the Dream Team and how in scrimmage once Magic Johnson's team was off to this early lead. So to rattle Jordan a little, he tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, man, if you don't turn into Air Jordan soon, we're going to blow you out today. And the way Magic tells it, like, Jordan's eyes just went huge, and he was livid. So he comes down the court on the next play and hits a three, and then another three, and he just torches the other team. And Magic Johnson actually calls it the best game he's ever been a part of. Wow. I don't know why anyone would be dumb enough to trash talk Michael Jordan <laughs> in those kinds of situations. All right, well, we still haven't gotten into how crowds impact games, but why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll get into that. All right, Mango. So as you know, we get a lot of great questions from our listeners, but it's been kind of funny because the question we get most often is who is Jason? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, at the very end of each episode in the credits, we have this little inside joke where we say, did we forget to mention Jason? And then we say, Jason who? And it's so funny how many people write in asking who Jason is. And I'm happy to report that we've actually got Jason here in studio with us. He's a member of the How Stuff Works team, but... We are not actually allowed to say his last name. He's going to remain a mystery. But Jason, welcome to Part-Time Genius. It is such a pleasure, guys. <laughs> now, the reason we're having you on this episode, because it is about trash talking, is because you've actually worked at How Stuff Works twice. And in between these stints at How Stuff Works, you actually worked for the WWE, <laughs> the World Wrestling Entertainment company, right? Yeah, it was kind of a phase, you know, it was kind of like, you know, after college when you move away out of your parents' basement or something like that. It was just, it was something I needed to do. Wow, it's pretty awesome. Okay, so Jason, one question I had for you was, what is your best experience of trash talking at the WWE? Like, did you actually get to see anything up close? You know, I have so many stories that could probably go into at least two volumes of books someday. <laughs> but I will tell you that I was backstage one time. And John Cena said to me, can I run something by you? And he literally cut a promo backstage. And I said, it sounds great. And then he went on to deliver five minutes later in front of 20, 30,000 folks, cut that same promo in front of The Rock. And I'll never <laughs> forget that. That is unbelievable. You got a sneak peek. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, what, what am I supposed to say if I didn't like it? <laughs> And actually, there's another strange connection between WWE and How Stuff Works. We've actually had some professional wrestlers in the studios at How Stuff Works, right, Jason? 
Yeah, so um, folks may not know, but actually Rick Flair lives right outside of Atlanta, and he was in our studio about a year ago doing some voiceover recordings, and uh, it was incredible. It, the, the guy is everything you see on TV uh, and more. It was amazing. <laughs> He's more tan than he looks on TV. <laughs> Uh, tan, purple, whatever you want to say. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, since we've been talking about trash talking and the WWE, we're going to put you to the test, Jason, and we may harass you if you don't do super well. But Mango, what game are we playing with Jason today? Today's quiz is called 1970s Professional Wrestler or Teddy Roosevelt's Guinea Pig. Of course. Yeah, that's the, the, <laughs> that was the obvious quiz for today. So, so what we're going to do, Jason, we're going to give you a name, and it's either a former pro wrestler or a guinea pig owned by Teddy Roosevelt. Now, if you're a presidential guinea pig enthusiast, which we know you probably are, this should be easy for you. So are you ready to play, Jason? I am. I know a lot about wrestling history, too. I'm, I'm, I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> okay. All right. There's five of these. Number one, the name is Haystacks Calhoun. Is this the name of a professional wrestler or a Teddy Roosevelt guinea pig? I think it's a guinea pig. Oh, Ooh. it's actually a professional wrestler. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> oh, ruin the reputation. Cut me a oh, promo, man. Mango. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, number two, Father O'Grady. Wow. Um, I'm going to say guinea pig. Yeah, that's right. Apparently he was a local priest the kids knew. <laughs> All right, so you are one for one. Nice comeback. Okay, number three, Pampero Furpo. Oh, that has to be a wrestler. Yeah, that's right. He was known as the Wild Man of the Pampas. And initially, he went as Irvin the Armenian and the Missing Link before he settled on his stage name. But what one of the best pieces of trivia about him, and this is from Metal Floss, is that his catchphrase of, oh, yeah, was later borrowed by uh, Randy the Macho Man Savage. Wow. That's pretty good. You're almost as intimidating as uh, Randy the Macho Man Savage when you say it like that, Mango. <laughs> oh, yeah? I like that. Good, <laughs> huh. oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Two out of three so far. You're doing well. Number four, Bobo Brazil. Bobo Brazil. It's got to be a wrestler. Yeah, he was. He was a rival of the Sheik. Of course he was. All right. Last one. Here we go. Number five, Fighting Bob Evans. Oh, that has to be a guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Well, how did Jason do on the quiz today? Well, Jason went an amazing four for five. And uh, that entitles him to a part-time genius certificate of genius and a hearty handshake for playing. <laughs> oh, man, I wanted to trash talk him so bad if his performance slipped, but he's just too good. Congratulations, Jason. Thanks, guys. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. All right, so Mango, I know you've been itching to talk about the sixth man at games, you know, the roaring crowd and and how it can actually affect games. Yeah, I do. So obviously, as some of our listeners might know, we went to Duke and Cameron Indoor Stadium is a notoriously hard place to play basketball games for opponents. But one of the things I've always been surprised by is how athletes try to block out the noise when they first walk in. Like often you see them coming off the bus all wearing headphones and I think I saw this first in football, but it's become common in all sports. Yeah, actually, I, I read this article about Olympic swimmers and, and how people used to think it was unsportsmanlike, you know, to walk in the stadium wearing these noise-canceling headphones. But now it's just become the norm. You know, I don't know if Michael Phelps started it. He, he used to walk into the stadiums to pump himself up. He'd be listening to Lil Wayne, which is <laughs> totally our move. I know we usually listen to Lil Wayne before every episode, right? <laughs> That's right. But... uh Part of that is just the focus, right? For something like the Olympics, athletes have been training for this day intensely for their entire lives. And, you know, blocking out screams and taunts from fellow swimmers. Like, I, I didn't realize this, but in Michael Phelps' case, there was a lot of dishing back and forth between the South African and the French swimmers and the U.S. It's kind of amazing because I kind of think of swimming as such a solitary sport, but you want to tune all of that out and relax and meditate on this important race ahead. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know this episode is sponsored by Beats by Dre, but one of the things I've been curious about for a while is whether those headphones really work and how they work. Like, are they just creating this cocoon around your ears and it's the pads that block out the noise or what? I know. So one of my concerns with wearing headphones in noisy places is that you have to turn them up so loud to hear the music. Like, I rarely listened to podcasts on the subway when I lived in New York just because I was afraid of damaging my hearing from the standard headphones I had. But the technology behind noise-canceling headphones is really interesting. So basically, there's a microphone in the headphone that's listening for ambient noise. And when it senses noise around you, it creates this fingerprint of that noise. You can read all about this on HowStuffWorks' website, but the software inside basically recreates that noise and then inverts it. So if you think about the waves of sound coming at you, it figures out the patterns of those sound and mixes it with the opposite signal to neutralize it. And the higher end headphones aren't just doing this for one noise, but they're targeting two or three different noises, like the hum of an airplane, but also the baby that's crying two aisles back. It's pretty crazy that they're able to uh, to pull this off. And, and obviously it works before a match or a race, but... Unfortunately, it can't help you during the game. At least I've not seen any players trying to wear noise-canceling headphones during their games. <laughs> right. So back to Cameron Indoor. And as you know, the stadium's actually kind of small, but the crowd tends to cheer the same thing in unison. So it's tough for an opposing athlete not to hear it. And the whole time we were in school, I'd heard that the airball chant was actually invented at Duke. 
You know, I'd actually heard that too, and, and, and I guess it's really not that hard to imagine. Yeah, but apparently they didn't invent it there, so they only modified this existing chant. Before, apparently, people used to sing airball and then clap twice and then say airball again and clap twice. But Duke's contribution was to take out the claps and lengthen it so it became the familiar airball, airball. <laughs> Just really took it to the next level. That was <laughs> revolutionary and worth every dime of tuition that our parents paid. So, uh, so how did you actually find this out? There's this academic paper on it called Airball Spontaneous Large Group Precision Chanting. Is that really a paper? <laughs> yeah. It looked into how a crowd of strangers can chant things together without any sort of pre-planned effort. But as the article put it, while, quote, airball is a reasonable insult, it's the cadence that makes it a perfect basketball taunt. Oh, wow. All right. So we, we know crowds taunt athletes. And, and I guess now we know why crowds do it with that rhythm. But I guess the question we still have to answer is whether crowds actually have an impact on the games. Yeah. So I, I can actually answer that. The New York Times did a study on crowds and whether they affected the outcomes, and mostly they analyzed free throw attempts because it's the only time in a game where the crowd is the only defense on the court. Oh, yeah. I guess I'd uh, not thought about that way before. Yeah, so according to the numbers, on average, a college basketball player will shoot one percentage point less in a hostile arena, meaning the crowd does have an impact. And in some stadiums, like if you take Utah or UCLA, like the whole team will shoot about one point less. But there's some places where that number is way, way worse. And the king of those stadiums is Arizona State, where they have the curtain of distraction. All right. Well, you should definitely explain what the curtain of distraction is. But how much worse do players shoot there? Well, they shoot nine percentage points less on average. Isn't that insane? No way. That is crazy. So here's what the curtain of distraction is for those of you who haven't heard of it. It's almost like the, I don't know, the David S. Pumpkins of college basketball. Like (laughs) the students open the curtain that's built around this PVC pipe. and, And then they have these ridiculous scenes with crazy props. And it's right behind the opposing team's basket, and it opens just before the shooter shoots the ball. But they'll do things like uh, they've got one skit called the Unicorn Love Story, where one person in a unicorn mask will jump into another's arms and they'll just make out. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Or other bizarre things like one time Michael Phelps was there, and for the first free throw, he and this other guy reenacted the Chippendale sketch from SNL, like... You remember that sketch where Chris Farley and Patrick Swayze are Chippendale dancers? Uh, Of course, I remember it very well. (laughs) But right before the next free throw, he pulled off his pants and revealed this bright gold Speedo, which, of course, you know, distracted the shooter. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty great. I I do love when there's an element of silliness to the taunts. You know, like there's plenty of mean-spirited stuff out there. But there was another one I was looking at when Scotland played Italy in soccer. The crowd chanted, Deep fry your pizzas. We're going to deep fry your pizzas, which just feels, <laughs> I don't know, so ridiculous. It's just funny. Well, you know what doesn't feel ridiculous? Ending this in a little trash talk backed off. All right, let's do it. So I love those photos of Usain Bolt looking back at his competitors and just smiling at the camera like those were in all the papers. And he just makes it look so easy. But I didn't realize that trash talking is also a big part of his playful routine. Like he likes to remind relay racers to hold on to the baton and make sure they don't drop it because it's very important not to drop the baton. (laughs) 
and also not to focus too hard on the bottom of his shoes as he races away. <laughs> well, he was definitely able to back up that trash talk. That's pretty good, though. But one of my favorite moments in trash talking history is when Chad Ochocinco Johnson, he typed out an official letter demanding double coverage from his opponents. It reads, quote, Chad Johnson's rule number 1059. It is against NFL policy to cover Chad Ochocinco man to man. It always has been a rule, <laughs> but with the events of the last year, we must have forgotten who he was. Please note that he is still the most uncoverable receiver in the league. This rule is for the safety of embarrassment to all defensive backs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's so elaborate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I love trash talking in sports, but I had to bring in one from the non-sports world. And this is from Hip Hop. I'm sure you remember how Drake famously made a PowerPoint of trash talk just to show his superiority to Meek Mills. Right. But my favorite <laughs> Hip Hop trash talk was when uh, Jay-Z and Nas were in this back and forth. And Jay-Z sampled Nas's voice on the song The Takeover. The lyric is, quote, yeah, I sampled your voice. He was using it wrong. <laughs> How unbelievable and brazen is that? That's pretty good, though. All right. Well, did you know there's actually a bad boy of bowling? What? His name is Pete Weber, and he's the guy responsible for not just trash talking his opponents, but also introducing the wraparound Oakleys and the victory crotch chop to professional bowling. <laughs> Apparently, his dad was a pro bowler and a gentleman spokesman for the sport. But as the website Ozzy wrote in a profile of him, no one has ever won so much, so soon, so classlessly. <laughs> I think he just became my favorite bowler. Right. The only one you can name now. <laughs> I, I think some of the worst trash talk is when it's done politely. So the New York Post had this anecdote about NFL player Reggie White and how he was the most unique trash talker. And this is according to Trent Dilfer, who's quoted in the article. And he said, not only would he destroy you, but then he'd say, quote, Brother Trent, you all right? I almost feel bad doing it to you, but I'm coming back. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, did you know the U.S. women's soccer team is notorious for their trash talk? According to one striker, Lady Andrade, who played for Colombia, the whole team felt belittled by the U.S. She explicitly told the press she, quote, wanted to beat them because the U.S. women like to talk so much. And in a previous World Cup, she punched Abby Wambach in the face because she, you know, the talking finally got to her. <laughs> That's wild. So this isn't about trash talking, but it does relate to the stuff we talked about before, about routines and getting yourself in a rhythm. Did you know that Dirk Nowitzki hums a David Hasselhoff tune to himself before every foul <laughs> shot? No, I didn't. <laughs> Apparently the song's called Looking for Freedom, but <laughs> it wow. must work because at the time it was written about, he was shooting nearly 89% for the line. Wow. You totally broke the rules by not talking about trash talking, but you did manage to work a David Hasselhoff tune into this. So it's a good fact. I think I'm going to have to give you the trophy this week. I know. And it's a shame the audience can't see me doing my victory dance. It's also a shame that I can. But <laughs> all right. Well, if there are any great stories we missed, you guys can always hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or drop us an email at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com. We always love hearing from you. Or you can call us on our 24-7 fact hotline. That's 1-844-PT-GENIUS. That's it for today's show. Thanks to Beats by Dre for sponsoring and thank you for listening. Thanks again for listening. 
Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? the question diamonds direct as an offer you can't miss this month only buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at two thousand dollars imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once no one provides education selection and value like diamonds direct your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at diamonds direct won't last long details at diamondsdirect.com Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.